Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Michael Finney. Today we are joined by writer and author Robert Dean. Would you like to introduce yourself, please? Howdy. Hey. I'm Robert Dean. Coming yeah. to you live from Austin, Texas. Welcome back. You know, glad to talk with you again. We've known each other for a while. Um years, over a decade. Fifteen well over years. A decade. In fact, it probably at this point, yeah, about I would, I would, longer than longer than that. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't want to date us or anything as old people, <laughs> but we are old people now. Um, met in metal bands when metal bands were metal bands. Yeah, well, well you we were, were a hardcore band. Yeah, you guys were an experimental hardcore band. Yeah, uh, we're no longer thrashing. We are now clacking on computers. And uh, tell me a little bit about how you transitioned from one creative endeavor to the one you've been focusing on for the better part of a decade uh, at this point now. I don't remember exactly when your first book came out, but why don't you tell us how that happened? When I literally never really wanted a job, I just always wanted to be a writer. So when I was 17, I just was like, I'm going to be a writer. So I was like the worst student in high school possible. Not because I couldn't do it. I just hated being there. I hated every minute of high school. It wasn't like I wasn't bullied. I was actually popular and had a really good solid group of friends who I'm still friends with to this day over 25 years later. And I just didn't apply myself to anything, but writing was the one thing that I liked doing. And so I kind of had never told anybody I wanted to be a writer and I told my, my, I was in a, I was in some remedial math. I was in remedial math class. I'm fucking stupid. I can't do uh, any kind of math whatsoever, but I was off the charts with English and writing and those, that writing samples and stuff is what got me accepted to schools. And I told my high school English teacher that I was thinking about writing and he was like, you should, he's like, you're better than your, your peers at this. This is something you should take serious. And so I kind of, slipped it under i wrote an essay on my grandmother dying a couple of years prior which like you know gave me some emotional ptsd that i still deal with to this day with in weird ways um i really put like the elbow grease into it and i got an a plus i have it framed that actual essay and i see all these mistakes and i cringe but i was 17 yeah, it's and uh yeah and so i i did that and then it was like this moment of I'm from the south side of Chicago. Nobody there is writers. Nobody's, you know, everyone's a bricklayer and a carpenter or a cop and shit like that or a drug dealer. And I was the only, I still am the only person of my life in that world that it does what I do. And so we were playing in bands and stuff. And I was like, well, we can be in this band because we had a lot of really cool opportunities. And we took them up to the point until we broke up or our first drummer quit. And then we, kind of figured it out but we were kind of really confused at who we were as a band and the whole time i was writing and like practicing and then when the band officially was starting to like wind down i was like all right i'm gonna focus now on like journalism and so i went and got a journalism degree and from then on in like i've basically been writing minus like a small detour at the chicago board of trade where i started to work on the floor in, in like the old school trade trading pits, which is good life experience for me now. Um, I'm the idea was to 
be it like learn the business. And then I was going to move up to the marketing department because everybody knew everybody back then. And then I was going to write for the marketing team and that never appeared. And I was a really shitty trade checker because I'm terrible at math. <laughs> and then I was like, fuck it. I'm moving to new Orleans. I was going there like every six months at that point. And so I just said, fuck it. And then I left and I basically haven't done anything. I, I've worked in a bar and that was really it. That's all I've done since 2003 i've worked at the chicago board of trade in the trading pits i've been a journalist and worked in a bar that's it what i've done for like the last 20 years so let's use the move to new orleans which is a beautiful city uh, uh a wealth of history and culture as the jumping off point to discussing the newest book your third book existential thirst trap right which is uh, a collection of essays yeah. So it's um yeah, tell me where did this come from? Where did it start? And you know, my belief is that a lot of this is maybe an anthology, a collection of writings that are uh adventures, you know, in that sense. Yeah, I had always struggled like I've written a bunch of fiction, but I never felt like a fiction writer. I identified more with like Hunter S. Thompson and the beats like Jack Kerouac and Ginsburg and Burroughs and uh, Charles Bukowski is my favorite writer of all time. And I'm a huge Anthony Bourdain fan. And like, I just never felt like fiction was me and I wrote it. And then I just never felt like I was in like the right pair of shoes. And then I got stumbled onto essays and I was like, that's what I want to do. And so I started just, messing around with them because this whole time I was doing journalism work but then like I found that if I put myself in that in my experience I had a, I, that's when I felt the best so it was like a mix of doing stories like straight journalism style stories and then like doing these essays from my point of view and then kind of blurring the lines between the two and that's when I like really felt like I was home and I figured out who I was as a writer and the Re book reporting from the trenches yeah, and like experience, like given the dirty of like what it is to like live my life. Like I'm not, I'm barely a fucking adult. Like I just got a, I'm as of today, I'm being sued by a huge bank because of credit card debt. And you know, I woke up to some dude knocking on my door, and I was like, holy shit, the pandemic fucked me. Which I wrote about it very much in the book about how the pandemic essentially just like threw my life in a turn. Like I'm still trying to recover from it. I think a lot and, of people are in that boat, you know? Yeah. And I basically paid for a divorce with credit cards because I lost my job and I still was a working writer. This entire economy has been bananas and trying to get a full-time job is really hard. At least for like me, it's been, a, it's been, it, my resume is, a, is problematic for people and I don't know why I still, have to deal with all kinds of bullshit that's very unnecessary. I've written about all this. And I think a lot of people are going to have similar experiences given uh, the nature and the shape of things over the last few years, depending on where you're coming from. Yeah, I mean, it's like I have a very robust resume. I've written for some serious places and I got called, you know, like I'm hopefully going to land a byline with the Smithsonian magazine. 
you know, I, I pitched a story and it's, it's up for their editorial meeting this week. I've got some very serious cool. stuff, you know, like I've got a piece coming out with a lot of like very prestigious places, what I'm very proud of. And I've written for some companies as a copywriter, you know, some serious shit. And then a couple of weeks ago, I was very humbly a couple of people that in the Austin industry were like, you know, you're one of the best writers in this city. And this is a very talented city. And a big collection of creatives down there for sure. Yeah. And I still struggle to pay rent and it's just, it sucks. And so this book is more of like a reflection on those kind of frustrations that I have of like, I I don't pull any punches about what it was like to live in new Orleans. New Orleans is gnarly, dude. Like people fantasize about it. It's a great place. Don't get me wrong, but you have to be in a certain place in your life to live there because they never let off the gas. The crime never stops. The drinking never stops shitty people around all the time. It's not that it's a city full of shitty people. It's just everybody who moves there from somewhere else is running from something in their lives. So it, it has a, a, a grittiness and requires a grittiness in new Orleans. Yeah. I know a lot of people who like would tell me over the years, like, Oh, I want to live in New Orleans. I'd straight up like you wouldn't make it. You're going to get, like, you're just dust, not, bud. yeah, you're just not tough enough to do that. And I've got, I've gotten people mad at me and they're like, why would you say that? He's like a really like good dude. I was like, I didn't say he was a bad dude. I just said to live in New Orleans requires a fortitude that he doesn't have. So let me ask you this. Uh, do you want to discuss any of the hits out of Existential Thirst Trap? What are maybe some of the stories that jump out from there? Um, there's a bunch of different stuff in there. There's, I wrote an essay on what it was like to deal with my one of my best friend's suicide. And I wrote about us being kids on the south side riding skateboards and building ramps out of nothing. And then, you know, it touches on sometimes I go to Galveston, this tiny little beach town that's not cool in the uh, south of Houston. And I go there just to get away and like emotionally and mentally recharge because that there's a lot of that in there. And there's a lot of New Orleans in there. There's no not really any Austin, some Chicago, but a lot of New Orleans in that book. And I tell the stories about working in a bar, being a writer, like. The time that I had met this dude, I was, I'd gotten off work and I was an entertainer on Bourbon Street. I was the guy with the microphone up there trying to get you to buy beers and have fun. And like, if you were a chick, pull your tits out, which I'm glad a lot of the shenanigans that I have been a part of were pre everybody putting everything on Instagram or TikTok because we would have been like I the, the job of the Bourbon Street employee at this point or entertainer. I don't know how they do it because we did a lots of scandalous shit. And I had gotten off work and I made it down to I had a rule every Friday I could spend 60 of my dollars and go on a bender. And so 60 bucks back then went a long way, especially when you're friends with bartenders. And I would go down to Lower Decatur and I wound up in the Abbey and a friend was working and she was like, oh, my God, you got to meet this dude. He's a writer. You're a writer. You guys should talk. And it was this old timer. And I roll in and this guy's already, you know, half in the bag. And he's like, you're a writer. You don't like a fucking writer to me with all those fucking tattoos. And I was like, 
yeah, I mean, that's what I do. And he goes, buy me a round. I go, I just got here. Why don't you buy me a round? He goes, because I'm the fucking old man here, not you. And so I buy us a round and we get to talking and eventually he warms up to me. And he was giving me some legit advice on like writing. He's after getting drunk with him. He's like, yeah, you're a writer. Yeah. He's like, I get it. He's like, you might, you're probably shitty, but you're at least you got the five. And I was like, well, thank you. That was nice of you to say. And so we go, we're hanging out and he's uh, dropping these like names about like writers and like shit that is like not everyday stuff. Like he knows like the craft of writing is one thing, but like, he knew like inside baseball who like a lot of like Henry Miller uh, was as a person and like Tropic talking to me about Tropic of Cancer and like we're talking about Bukowski and like he's like, no, I, I knew that fat fuck. And, you know, he would talk about that and Flannery O'Connor and it was like very in depth. And so eventually he looks at my arm and he's like, you don't think I see that fucking tattoo on your arm? He's like, that motherfucker was my best friend. So for anybody listening, I have a huge splatter tattoo of the cover of fear and loathing in las vegas and it was with hunter thompson and i was like oh shit because he had just died and i was like no shit that's wild and so he opens up he's got this george costanza wallet in his back (laughs) pocket and he pulls out like remember when photos have the rounded edges on them yeah he pulls out one of those and it's him and thompson as young men and like it's not yeah way back like this is like around the fear and loathing era and he flips it over and it's like filled of writing like filled and you could tell it was thompson's and he kept it in his back and he kept it in his wallet and i was like holy shit and it turns out this guy was one of the first editors to ever publish thompson i'm not saying that that's what what it was that's what he told me because whenever i tell this story this is where it gets dicey because i have no way of proving this but what he said he goes Thompson didn't have fucking, he's like, he blew his brains out because he got fucking cancer. He didn't do that because he couldn't stand the idea of people seeing him die, this weak, feeble old man. It was, that's why he fucking killed himself. Not because he was like sick of life or any bullshit like that. And I was like, holy shit, that's wild. And he goes, yeah, he's that fucking, and he just started talking a string of obscenities. And we're just sitting in the Abbey and I'm hearing about this. And this whole time, this dude keeps trying to get me to do blow with him. And I'm like, I don't want to do cocaine with you in the bathroom. And, like, the, the fucking bathrooms at the Abbey are, like, standing coffins. And you couldn't fit two people in there anyway. I mean, sure, I'm sure people have managed to fit two people in there. But Likely not me, and, not me and this dude. And uh, so we, I, he'd done that. And then eventually he was like, I want to see your writing. He's like, we got on really well. And he grabs, like, something out of either my pocket or his. And it was, like, a burlesque flyer. And he grabs a fucking Sharpie and just scribbles some shit on there. And I start, I'm fucking hammered at this point. And I stick it into my pocket and then I make my way off into the night and I get make it home. I lived in the Treme, which is the neighborhood adjacent to the French Quarter. It's the oldest. It's where Jazz was born, essentially, was in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I make my way in there and pass out in my bed. And the next day I'm all hungover and gross, just disgusting. And I start emptying out my pockets for my jeans and this flyer's in there, but I open it up and it's completely illegible. Like <laughs> you couldn't make out a single fucking word of it. It like didn't even look like English. And could I have hunted him down? Could I have found the truth and all that? Yeah, I could have, but makes for a good story. If he was the editor, if he wasn't, I've heard that, you know, he might've been the editor of Playboy. 
It could have been Rolling Stone. I'm not entirely sure, but to be honest, I don't really want to find out. Myth is sometimes more interesting than fact, and it sounds like perhaps you are exploring your own mythical catharsis in the new book. Yeah, I mean, I wanted it to be a collection that I've done some wild and rowdy shit, and I've always enjoyed the idea that I'm at least honest with myself because I have anxiety and depression. Being honest with yourself is important. It's it's very it's huge, and I'm a very flawed person. Like I'm like Jekyll and Hyde. When I'm sober, I'm a very thoughtful, well planned not well planned, but like I, I I understand consequences to actions to things. When I'm drunk, I just don't care. I'm like, yeah, let's light this dog on fire. It's just let's not light the dog on up. fire though. Well, you know, just let's blow fireballs out, out in the middle of the street or things like that. And I'm guilty of that. But I'm like, I reflect upon all that. And I like wanted it to feel for people reading it. Yeah, there's some wild stuff that they're like, holy shit, that's a, an adventure. But I wanted them to feel I, I wrote the book for people that don't read books. I wanted anybody to pick it up to go. I can relate to this, but I also don't feel like this is a book. This is just a conversation with somebody that I can hang out at the bar with. Like that was what I always wanted that to feel like that. When I talk about like my own misgivings about death and things like that, I just vocalized it for somebody else to ruminate on it. And, you know, with my things with Buddhism and all these other self practices, I wanted somebody to look at it and go, I feel that way too. I have these different kind of feelings about like food and why it's important or, why traveling and seeing things are important. And I, I really tried to run central themes of like, while I'm giving you these big ideas, let me explain to you that like, this is all very much rooted in my mistakes and my humanity at the same time, even if I am making you laugh. It is your intimate and personal portrait. Yeah. In a way. And I try to do that with all my work. You know, I wrote a piece for Mike about a year ago where I was just so burned out on life that I got into birding. Like I, I can sit there for hours just doing nothing, just listening and watching birds. <laughs> nothing wrong with birds. We do like them. Yeah. I mean, dude, sitting out in like a marshland and just letting nature overtake you, it recharges some kind of battery in us that we intrinsically need as people. Absolutely. I, you know, love to go out into nature. Uh, big fan of national parks have, uh, utilized those resources to do the same. Let's go back in time and talk about uh, some of your earlier books, right? So this is the third book. You've got two previous ones. Uh, before we started recording, you kind of went into some of the background information about their availability and the publishers. And I think that that's an interesting developmental story in regards to establishing yourself as an author and as a, a, a published entity in the world that is not necessarily always as perfect and um, linear as we might hope. Yeah, my first book got published, I think, 2011 or 12, I think it was when it was published. It was In the Arms of Nightmares. May December publications put it out and I was never happy with the cover that they put on it. And 
so I kind of just let it go. And then later I got them to do a new cover, which I liked the, the second cover. I didn't love it, but it was better. I could live with it. And then that um, printing imprint folded and I was remitted the rights back to it. And then looking back on it as a much more experienced writer, I just kind of don't love the way that it's laid out and would rather it just fade off into the sunset and just not be out. There's nothing in there that's like wildly problematic in there. I mean, there might be, there's a lot of killings. There's a lot of killings of all kinds of people in there, but I am not a horror author. It was just an idea I had in my head at the time. And I'm not like in love with scary movies. Like I don't give a shit about 90% of scary movies, but I just had that story and I was going through a transitional phase. And so it just all worked at that one moment. So I have the rights to it. I'd rather it just ex whatever copies exist, they exist. That's it. And then the second book was the red seven, which uh, necro publications put out, which sold pretty good considering that when I, when we released that book, I had, had like zero connections. Like I had some, I did like three or four podcasts and it was cool. And then I, it, it sold pretty well considering like it had zero juice behind it. Like it was just this funky Western about a guy who wants revenge for his family dying. And in that market, it sold pretty well. And I think it still could sell well. Problem is, is Dave from Necro Books was killed in a car crash um, during COVID. The guy beat all these health problems and lo and behold, some bitch in the rain fucking kills him. <laughs> so it's one of those grand ironies and so he's gone now so i have to find somebody to like put it out and deal with like all the stuff and in between those two books and in between now and then i've written a bunch i wrote a bunch of short stories at one point i think between like 2016 2017 i'd sold like 25 short stories and through that process I fell out of love with fiction because I never felt like it was me. I just always felt like I was standing in someone else's shoes. And then I kind of adopted back with my, like I focused on journalism, but also essays and taking what I experienced and mixing them into the work. And so this experiential amalgamation of some essays, some straight journalism, how I see the world felt like myself for the first time. So I just kind of stuck with that in in that time, I did write a crime novel. I just couldn't get it right. I kept trying and trying and trying and trying, and I just couldn't get it right. And I eventually, after so many drafts, I just shelved it and didn't look back at it. And in that time is when I started writing Existential Thirst Trap, which some of the essays in this have appeared in different publications. It's like 60-40 new, but there are some old ones in there. Oh, you know what? Um, now that you mention it, uh, I remember reading some of the early drafts of the crime novel and liking it. Yeah, it was, it's not a bad book. It just, it needed some work. So now that I'm thirst trap is out and I've got a poetry book coming out next year called snakes in the garden through um, madness art press. I signed that contract like two years ago, but the agreement was always after the essay book comes out, we'll release this one. Um, but the crime novel is uh, I'm rewriting it right now. My girlfriend has a degree in fiction and she's very, very, very smart with fiction. She loves the shit. 
versus me. Like I haven't read a fiction book in probably two years and I read maybe one a year. And so I needed help. And so she's like giving me some plot points and different things that I should consider. And I think when I'm done with it, which I'm hoping to be done by not Christmas, by the summer, then I can move on from it. It's like this white whale that I just need to finish so I can finally just set off in the sunset with all fiction and just completely focus on writing the stuff that I do. Did you just say focus? I was going to say float and focus, so it became a focus. I like it. You know what? Uh, first time coined right here. I I uh, uh, rubber stamp emoji endorsement. Yeah. So I'm just you know everybody just batting down the hatches and focus. <laughs> and really, that is writing. You know, you just have to keep uh, jamming on the keys or writing your notes, and then start collecting things together and editing as you go, or maybe trying to discover themes that you can explore. And sometimes, you know what, themes emerge as you're doing that editing that you might not have realized at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, that book is going to get done. I'm changing the title of it and everything, and it'll it'll get done because I, I just I have to see it finished. But after that, it's just I have zero plans to fuck around with fiction. It's just I I know what I'm gonna follow existential thirst trap up. Should this book sell? God, please, I hope it sells. I'm trying to do everything in my power not to be broke. Uh, but you know, if it sells, then I know how I'm following it up. I, I already have the titles to the next two books that because they're going to be two essay collections, but one's going to be about completely travel essays like one book of nothing but just going places and writing about the experience because i have this real knack of finding myself in weird places and the other one will be like just essential follow-up to existential thirst trap it'll just be a series of like whatever kind of essays maybe um so there's this element of cartography right that you may or may not realize that is kind of running through this project and maybe some future projects in the sense that like these collections of essays can be in a sense geographic you know so you've got these elements of youth through chicago and then uh, emerging and establishing yourself into new orleans and then kind of um further development within Austin and these other episodic travels. Yeah. You know, that's just my observation. You know, who am I? No, it's no, you're, you're not wrong. It was just, it kind of became, it's just, everything is reflected in my work at this point. Some stuff is just in the DNA of it. And now I'm in this different place. Like I'm a dad and I've got a divorce under my belt. I have a girlfriend and you know, I like going places and thinking about food and travel and do you cook? What Like what? Oh yeah. Like I can, I can like chef level cook. I had to like when I was in therapy, like I've always loved food and I've always loved cooking, but when I was in therapy regularly, I only could do kind of check-ins now, but when I was in therapy very regularly, my therapist was like, what are your hobbies? I was like, well, I read and I write. She goes, no, that's what you do. What are your hobbies? I was like, well, 
I cook. She goes, well, why don't you make that your hobby? And so I had went from like a, a decent home cook to like putting my energy into learning how to cook well. And so now I can, you know, whatever you want, I can make you and it won't suck. Maybe there's a, a recipe book in there somewhere. You know, I, as much as I would love to do a recipe book, which I have written recipes, you can find me on the internet. There's like four, three or four that I've sold over the years to do recipes. Uh, that's a labor of love that you really gotta like want to be a part of. Like, I'm not saying I wouldn't do it, but you gotta like have a trusted name. And unfortunately for me is like, I'm, I'm just a guy that, you know, writes bullshit and can throw together a good sandwich or sear a steak correctly. I don't know if I uh, stack up against guys like Joshua Wiseman, who's like a brilliant, you know, chef and Marco Pierre White and all these dudes that actually like know what the fuck they're doing. I don't know if I'd worry about all that all the time. I think there's a lot to be said about comforting foods and being able to slam something together with what you've got. God knows I've done that before. I've, I've, dude, I was one time out of. I was out of shit to bread chicken with. And I, at one time I breaded, uh, I made fried chicken using Doritos. Hell yeah. Would eat. Yeah. It didn't turn out pretty bad. It didn't turn out bad. You just got to like, it was, um, it was close to like the cornflakes texture. Yeah. That's fine with me. Yeah. Put you ranch just got to ground it. it down. You're such a white girl. <laughs> when we were in new Orleans, uh, we calm call, down. Uh, with these accusations, you're breading chicken with Doritos. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, ranch is literally just, you put it over the line, just a hair. I, when I was in uh, New Orleans, this uh, bar I used to go to, Flanagan's, that doesn't exist anymore. Anytime uh, people would order ranch, they'd call it fat girl ketchup. Well, uh, uh, sir, will you pass me a uh, side of aioli? <laughs> Most people don't know that all uh, aioli is is just mayonnaise with some other shit in it right but I don't like mayonnaise at any rate um, any other anecdotes or points you want to express um, you know we are promoting existential thirst trap here uh, when can people find it when's it going to be uh, available it'll, it'll be available May 8th um, it's I'm as of right now depending on whenever this comes out it's available on Amazon. The, the digital e-reader version is available right now. The book is available on Barnes & Noble right now. And I'm just waiting for the official paperback to be available on Amazon. That's when I can announce it. Because I, at this point, this is the first podcast I've done and promoted, as well Thank as... You. I haven't, I've got some lined up. People responded pretty quickly to wanting to do it, which is great. Um, I, uh, I haven't showed the cover to anybody other than friends and nobody's seen the um, title or anything like that. Like this is Wait, the first so time I'm talking about it. it. The cover that you sent me, is that the real cover or is that just a mock-up? No, that's the cover. Okay. All right. I'm just making sure. Yeah, no, it's it's all done and everything. I'm just waiting for it to pop up on Amazon, and then I can announce it all. Okay, so wait a and second. Then, uh, but the actual official release date is May 8th, but as soon as it goes live on there, it's available. Well, for the pre-order. 
Okay. Okay. All right. I got you. And they're doing pre-orders for paperbacks now? Yeah. Oh, very cool. Because I think in the past that wasn't always the case, but um, you could do pre-orders for eBooks, but you maybe couldn't with paperbacks. I'm not sure. You're using Ingram, Ingram Spark, uh, which I have not used. So there might be some various aspects about that. Or were you using KDP? No, it's Ingram Spark. Okay. We, because Big Laugh Comedy is the one who's releasing this book. Okay. This is our first foray into publishing. For those listening, um, Big Laugh Comedy is Texas's premier um, comedy. It's we we book a lot of comedians, so I'm very tied into the Austin comedy scene. Like I'm friends with a lot of comedians, some famous, some not, but guarantee you, you've heard some of them. And uh, so we basically just decided after dealing with agents and publishers, we were like, why the fuck are we dealing with this? We're the ones that have the relationships with these people. What are they going to give us that we already don't have? And so we paid to have this book completely. There is no corners cut. It was professionally edited. The book was put together by a, a professional book designer. It was professionally uh, redlined it was there is no corners cut on this book whatsoever just the same as any book on the shelf at a bookstore this book has all of that yeah and i don't even think I've that got, matters anymore man to be honest with you like there are independent books coming out that are crushing the numbers of stuff that's being released by legit uh you know big yeah, five or I, however many uh publishers I, there are now I just got tired of being told no for really dumb reasons. And, you know, we just decided to do it ourselves. So is it self-published? I would say no, because I'm doing it with a big production company. And like, we went, a lot of things went into this. It wasn't just me right. uh, sitting on a laptop doing it. There was a lot of other people's considerations involved in terms of, you know, putting it out and making shaping sure it, it looked right and shaping it and things like that. Ultimately, it came down to me. It's my book, but this isn't some vanity project, but like we are the ones doing it. So everything we're just kind of learning. Like I didn't know anything about releasing a book. And so I had to lean on a lot of people with experience. And so we're putting it out. And this is that lead up time four months in advance for doing as much press and trying to get blurbs and all that stuff. That's where I'm at with it now. Congrats, man. Very happy for you. Thank you for joining me today and taking the time to discuss your books, uh, your process, your life. And uh, as always, you know, good to talk with you as your friend, Robert. Yeah, for sure. It's always, I'm glad to do it. It's, you know, it's a scary journey when you put something out into the world and you just hope people give a shit.